The Italian Wine Podcast is introducing a new donation drive this month. It's called Why Am I a Fan? We are encouraging anyone who tunes in on a regular basis to send us your 10-second video on why you are a fan of our podcast network or a specific show. We will then share your thoughts with the world with the goal of garnering support for our donation drive. Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs you in order to continue to receive awesome free wine edutainment seven days a week. We are asking our listeners to donate to the Italian Wine Podcast by clicking either the GoFundMe link or the Patreon link found on italianwinepodcast.com. Remember, if you sign up as a monthly donor on our Patreon, we will send you a free IWP t-shirt and a copy of the Wine Democracy book, the newest Mama Jumbo Shrimp publication. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, this is Cynthia Chaplin, and today I am so happy to welcome Icy Lou to Voices. Icy works for Becky Wasserman & Co. in Bone, France, and she's the founder of Asian Wine Professionals. She was recognized by Wine Enthusiast 40 Under 40 list in 2021, and she's the host of Ungrafted, a podcast about wine, humanity, and the planet, which she launched in October 2020. So welcome to the show, Icy. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you, Cynthia. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Me too. Me too. Well, you have such an interesting story. You were born and raised in Taipei, Taiwan, and you moved to the U.S. to attend Columbia University. So I'm just wondering, what was that tradition like for you as a young woman? I would say that I grew up in Taipei, so it was, you know, it is a large city. So moving to New York City was, I guess, not that big of a change for me. But uh, I've always been pretty independent um, since I was young. I'm an only child and um, I remember my parents would take me to the U.S. during the summers when they visited their clients, and they would often just kind of, le- they would leave me, while they visited their clients, they would just leave me in the hotel room. I would just watch TV and do whatever. And I remember one time, my mom came rushing back to the hotel room, and she was like, I'm so sorry, you know, our meeting ran over, and you must be starving. And then there was like, I don't know, at seven years old or something. And she's, and I was like, well, mom, I already ordered room service. Like it was just nothing, you know? So I think from a young age, I knew how to take, take care of myself, but obviously as a young woman still finding myself and who I am, that was, um, it was, it was still hard. And I can imagine for many women in their, you know, in their 17 and 18, that's difficult. But like throughout time, as I've, you know, went through my career, et cetera, in New York, and then finally finding wine, I think it definitely helped me a lot um, and transformed me to who I am today. Well, that's so good. And I'm sure that your parents would be glad to know that too. I know as a parent myself, you know, you feel guilty when you you leave your children to their own devices so that you can get on with work and important things. Uh, So it's nice to hear that it has a positive effect from time to time. Definitely. So speaking of your career, your original career was in real estate and finance, but you moved into the wine industry around 2015. 
what on earth inspired you to make such big change? You know, was there sort of an aha moment for you with wine or how did it happen that you went from finance to wine? Yeah, it was, um, you know, when I was in college and after college, I never really thought about, you know, what actually makes me tick. It was more like, oh, you know, I was good at math and science, so maybe I'll try finance. There's a lot of lucrative careers on Wall Street um, in New York City. But I think it was when I was, you know, working in real estate finance and I was kind of looking at my managing director and I thought to myself, well, you know, I don't really want that corner office and I don't really want his job in the next however many years I'm in. So why am I doing this really? So, you know, when I was um, um, attending Columbia, like one of the reasons why I loved um, New York City was I loved food. I love going out to try different restaurants. So um, it stemmed from there really where I, my love for food and oftentimes, you know, wine would be part of uh, a complete meal. I didn't grow up with wine, but this kind of New York City um, restaurant scene kind of brought me to wine. And I remember my friend, she um, was very nice and she treated me to a meal at Per Se. And it was one of my first like, you know, really fancy and expensive meals. And yeah, good friend. Yeah, very good friend. Um, <laughs> I'm keeping this friend. Uh, so I, you know, and we were ordering wine and she knew more about wine than I did at that time. But then she ordered, I can't remember. And I, to this day, kind of bummed. I can't remember which like, um, Sonoma Pinot Noir it was, but it was one of those like really cool climate, like less extracted, um, wines. And it was served to us by a sommelier. And like, I remember it was like a, uh, a Riedel sommelier glass where it was like a, the Pinot glass where it like, it's basically like a small, like a fishbowl. It was so big. And you kind of swirl the wine in my, you know, in my hands. And then all the perfumed, you know, Pinot Noir sensation kind of hit my nostrils, etc. And just kind of this whole thing made me want to learn more about what's in there. So after leaving finance, I kind of tried different things. And then finally, I was like, you know, wine is something I can you know, try it, you know, it um, encompasses a lot of things that I, I love traveling, learning about different people, different cultures, geography, history. And I'm sure uh, with you, Cynthia, as well, you know, this is what intrigues us about one, there's always so much to learn. So, you know, I finally feel that, you know, through my whole moving from um, Taipei to New York City, not knowing who I am, I really finally found uh, my place in the world. And I feel like, you know, wine has a big part to it because I feel like I was definitely very lost at one point. Yeah. I, it, it, I think it happens to everybody at some stage and it, it's nice to know that, you know, that's a really beautiful story. I think we, as you said, we've all been there where yeah. have the glass handed to you, that's, you know, as big as your face and out of it comes a smell you haven't smelled before. And it can be really transformative. So it's nice to have that image in our head while we're talking because it, it is those those kinds of moments that keep us all in this job <laughs> that's for sure for sure um so you've been you as you said you you've been in a lot of different things and you've since you got to wine you've been doing retail you've done distribution you've done wine auctions and now you're in France working for Becky Wasserman you only moved there to Burgundy in 2018 and you've already earned your MBA at Burgundy School of Business and your analogy diploma from the University of Burgundy so you're just kind of roaring along with this whole new career what's your experience been like in Europe as a young Asian woman are you facing resistance with your education in France i mean i know you know France is sort of the most old school classic elitist exclusive wine region that there possibly can be. So 
what advice would you give to to people coming to Europe from Asia to study wine and looking to get into the wine industry? Yeah, I think my experience is definitely a bit unique. I did grow up in Taipei, but I went to an American school. Exactly. So I would say my, you know, education is sort of Western, but then also rooted in like Taiwanese culture. And then moving to uh, the US for college also is um, another experience. And I definitely feel that um, Europe is different. I can't speak for other countries because I've only lived in France, but I do have to say while there are um, a lot of positives, there is also definitely the view on what is appropriate in terms of sexism, etc. is definitely not on the liberal side that I've experienced in the US. That's a very polite way of putting it. Not on the liberal side. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So I feel that there are times when I, I, I think that the, the thing is just to understand, you know, I, and I speak to producers and other like French people about this, like what is the best way to go about um, understanding culturally what it means to be French and what they've grown up with and then not, you know, asserting my quote unquote American view on people. I think that's important to, for me at least to understand even, you know, I have friends in China um, as well. And, you know, I talk about that as to, to them often too. I think there's sometimes maybe people feel like, you know, there are American um, ideology that maybe are not as prevalent um, in certain countries. So I think it's just a matter of, um, understanding what is the best, most um, effective way to kind of understand the situation and see if there's anything that you can do to change. So I think that would be kind of my experience overall. It's such a good point. I mean, that is a good piece of advice rather than trying to impose your own sort of cultural viewpoint on onto the place where you are for the time being. It is, it, you know, it's probably much more enlightening too, and you get a better experience if you are willing to sit back and, and be quiet and listen a little bit before um, sort of barging ahead, as as often all of us do with our American sort of um, points of view and things. it's I think that's a great piece of advice to, to take on board the culture around you and not try to impose your own on top of it. Yeah. And just kind of understand, you know, what would be, I think that's more effective too, to kind of understand the cultural context and how best to work around and within it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're both podcast hosts. Um, let's talk about that for a second. You started your podcast on Grafted in 2020, and you're focusing on some really interesting issues that are near and dear to my heart as well. So what inspired you to, to start up? What are you talking about these days? Yeah, so I started it October 2020. And I was um, in France at that time. And then I am just looking through the news. I, I you know, with uh, the George Floyd protests really affected me. And here I was in France, I, I am not able to kind of join some of the protests um, that are happening in the US. And since a long time as well, I've been very affected by climate change, thinking about you know, what I can do um, in terms of my own world, how to affect change. And so all these different things kind of prompted me to start the um, podcast where we talk about some of these environmental and societal issues within wine. And specifically with my podcast, I try to keep it 
shorter on the shorter side, like 30 to 45 minutes. And we focus on a specific topic with a specific um, interviewee. So then, um, you know, you can, it's kind of like a deep dive into into a subject. So that's kind of how I started, because I, I know also we are not um, we don't have a lot of time nowadays with um, the short attention span. So I just wanted to um, also provide something new within the wine world on top of the these topics that I'm personally very passionate about. Yeah, I think I, I think you're right on that. You know, we all sort of aim for that sweet spot of around 30 minutes um, so that people don't turn us all off. <laughs> but it's it's great that you're using your podcast for, you know, to address those issues in that kind of a way, like bite size so people can can jump in, jump out and, and get some new um, new information and new points of view. It's really important, I think. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show. Yeah, thank you. And I hope to continue this and um yeah it's uh it's 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 been very gratifying for me and helped me change a lot of my own opinions and hopefully it, i've heard from people all over the world who do listen to it and that touches me profoundly as well it does i don't think people understand how much their feedback means to to those of us sitting sitting in a podcast booth somewhere on our own <laughs> Well, you so you've got Vines for Votes going and Asian Wine Professionals going as well. Um, you started up two two more activities you founded to take a look at voter suppression in Texas and highlighting Asians and their contributions to the wine community. Of course, it's election time in the states. Uh, we're all kind of on tenterhooks, waiting to hear what's going on there today. Um, when did you get going with this, and and what's been the reaction since you started? Um, are you drawing engagement here in this arena, sort of with the voting and with the Asian wine professionals? I mean, we know, as you said, you know, the George Floyd and, you know, hate crimes against Asians that have risen horrifically, particularly in the U.S., but also in London and other places. What are you seeing in the wine sector and how are you reaching out with both of these initiatives? Yeah, so Vines for Votes is an initiative that my ex-coworker, Michael Wooden, um, during the Trump and Biden um, elections, you know, all of us were just trying to think, like, what can we do within our own kind of world? And I, that's kind of also the same theme with my podcast is sometimes I feel a bit hopeless, like, what can I do to make a change? So with that, Michael Wooden, he approached a bunch of us and just said, hey, what can we do within, you know, our little own world to help? you know, do something about the, the, the upcoming election. And for us, it was, um, you know, we did a wine auction and then we thought, you know, some of the more swing states, perhaps it would be more helpful if we donated our efforts into um, um, swing states where we can perhaps make more of a difference with the, the voting and then kind of swing it to the favor of, you know, the, the candidate um, that we are hoping to win and also fight against uh, voter suppression laws, which are very, very important and are kind of affecting, you know, minorities also in a very negative way. So that's, that's basically how it happened. And 
with Asian wine professionals. It was also um, one of the uh, other um, people who worked on Vines for Remotes was uh, Julia Coney, who founded Black Wine Professionals. So I was very inspired by her kind of, you know, doing a directory of, you know, Black wine professionals and kind of just highlighting like the community that we have. And uh, it's about representation too, and kind of encouraging other people to kind of, you know, um, know that you're not just the only face in the wine industry, you know, who are, you know, perhaps being affected by certain issues. So that's kind of how it started. And we're still working on it. Um, you know, all of the uh, the two other individuals who are helping me with it, like we all have um, full-time jobs. So it is not always as easy to get things going as, as quickly as we should. But yeah, it's just... Uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of these hate crimes, uh, etc. It's about not understanding other people. And when we find like a common connection, and hopefully we can maybe do certain things with like Roots Fund and um, Black Wine Professionals to kind of make the the community a bit more robust. I think like a rising tide, no, a rising tide lift all, all boats kind of thing. So I think that would be yeah, really helpful as well. Like some things, yeah, we are looking in the future. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's a perfect saying, um, a rising tide raises all boats. It's, it, it is so important that everybody is lifted um, by their efforts in this arena. We, we, so many people need, you know, recognition, need support, need encouragement um, and protection and education. Uh, and I think all of those things fall into exactly what you're doing. Uh, so it's it, it's great that that's still going on. Has has the um, number of people in Asian wine professionals risen? Have you been able to hunt them down? Yeah, we um, during Asian AAPI month, like we do a round of, um, and I have to highlight, um, I have to say thank you to Justine and Fa who helps me with this as well. Like we um, do interview Instagram lives where we interview different Asian wine professionals and kind of highlight you know, the stories of them and um, how they got into the wine industry, et cetera. So yeah, that's definitely something we hope to continue doing. That's fantastic. How can people find you if they want to join and, and get involved with what you're doing? Just send us a message on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at, um, at Asian Wine Professionals. Um, also, there is a website too. So AsianWineProfessionals.com too, if you want to check it out. Perfect. Perfect. Um, I'm, I'm always a big advocate for getting people involved and, and hopefully people get fired up and get on their computer or get on their phone and, and get in touch with you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you were recognized for all of this as one of Wine Enthusiasts 40 Under 40, as I said. Did you see that one coming? How's that affected your career since that happened? I definitely feel that I did check my like podcast stats and I did see like a jump. So thank you, one enthusiast. I think it's, yeah, it's important what they're doing to kind of, yeah, I, I definitely feel like that helped me a lot. Uh, I know this year they, they did get rid of the age limitation. I think it's now called the future 40 or something, which I think is... I know. I'm so happy about that. Yeah, I'm really happy about that too. And I do feel like there is such pressure for us to kind of achieve so much in, you know, the the time pressure thing is just, I, I don't think it's um, serving us. So I, I'm happy that they did that. Um, during that time, you know, throughout my career, I often think about Becky, which, um, you know, she has, she was just awarded um, Lifetime Achievement Award from the Wine Oscars. They call it um, the Golden Vines. And I often think about her career and she started her own company, you know, as a single mom at 42. So it's like, you know, this 
she wouldn't be on this list. So I, I definitely feel like it's great that the future of 40 is now what they're advocating. So I'm happy about that. Exactly. No, I, I feel very much the same. And it's so much less limiting. Yeah. And I think it focuses on what people are doing rather than how old or how young they are. Definitely. So that's, that's nice as well. So just before I let you go, you know, what, what are your goals? You're clearly this incredibly busy and incredibly driven person with lots of really good ideas that we need in our sector now. So where do you think you'll be in the next five years? What do you want to focus your activity on in the wine sector? You're clearly bubbling over with lots of ideas. So where are you heading? Well, I definitely want to devote more time and engrafted and think about think about future topics that would be interesting. So I definitely want to continue that. I want to make sure I have more time to devote to um, Asian wine professionals. The thing that that has kind of prevented a bit of that is um, I uh, started making my own wine this year. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, um, I have a good friend called Basti who um, I met in my enology diploma class in Dijon. And he is a a great vigneron and um, he helped me source some organic Beaujolais grapes. So that, uh, so I'm making that and I hope to continue the activity and it's just, it's my first year. So I was a bit, you know, a fish out of water and just kind of figuring how to do things quote unquote, like naturally. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. But I think in that process, it has also definitely helped me um, learn how learn more about viticulture vinification that I think will help me with ungrafted and will also help me um, on my um, day job at Becky Wasserman so that I hope to hope to continue and yeah just kind of just make sure I keep up with my own um, you know these projects and making sure that I do a good job the company I work for um, Becky Wasserman we are also doing our own like carbon audit and also looking at potentially a B Corp certification. So it's also just, you know, within my world, like how can we try to better ourselves, be more conscious? I I know we all can't be perfect. And one of the things that is kind of my guiding light uh, when I did launch Ungrafted was it's not about everyone doing everything perfectly. It's about like lots of people doing things imperfectly to kind of go about change. So how to find a balance with that, but also just looking around my own my own world and then the company I work for and how we can just make sure we're keeping up with helping with environmental and societal issues within wine and just in general. Yeah. So that's would be like my goal in the next five years. And I guess for my lifetime. Are you going to stay in France? Um, so right now I split some time in, uh, mostly I'm in France, but I also have family in Taiwan and Colorado. So trying to also be conscious of how much I travel, I just, I want to make sure I can also touch, like see my family, but not travel too much. So I'm trying to still find a balance, but most of the time I spend in France. It's it's difficult these days trying to, to keep a low carbon footprint, still get things done, still stay in touch with people that we've been missing during the pandemic. We just had our wine to wine business forum here in Verona, and it was great to see people in person. But there was a lot of talk about sustainability and how can we be sustainable if we're flying around to, to conferences and, and winery visits and things like this. So all of these things really play into your hands for Ungrafted in terms of talking about sustainability for the wine sector. Uh, it's going to be an issue that keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Like, what did they say about about that? Well, I think everybody's at the beginning of this conversation. The 
not just the travel part of our wine sector, but also logistically with heavy bottles, you know, transport, things like this, corks versus screw caps. You know, there are only so many trees in the world. Lots of lots of different issues are on the table in the wine sector. And I think we're just at the start of this conversation. So we were focusing on wine communication this year. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if sustainability comes into the forum in a you know in a bigger role in the future because it is crucial to the success and the future of our industry. Yeah, totally. Yep. And you know, as you said yourself, with different winemaking techniques, uh, looking to be more natural, you know, eliminating you know, chemicals and different things, uh, all of these are are on the table for the wine sector globally right now. Totally. Yeah. No, I think it's good, and we're at a good place. Good. Yeah. And hopefully we'll continue. Yeah. I agree. Well, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. And we wish you all the best with your winemaking endeavors. Of course, always at Becky Wasserman, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Icy. Thank you, Cynthia. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening. And remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods.